What does it take to win? What does it take to be a winner? I'm here to answer those questions, and today I'm joined by Georgia GOP consultant Ryan Mahoney. I get to work with Ryan on a bunch of races, so I know that he knows what he's talking about. He's worked with big Georgia names like Nathan Deal, Johnny Isaacson, Kelly Loeffler, and Brian Kemp. Here we dive into the importance of storytelling and winning. So uh, did you guys have a good Halloween? We did. I didn't realize uh, that Halloween is a multi-day, multi-event ordeal with kids. So, I mean, I think we had four or five fall festivals and carnivals and trick-or-treating and I have two girls so like multiple costume changes I mean it's it's exhausting yeah I mean it started on Friday for us with like a school performance and then it went all weekend until Monday night yeah and I think too like we had several birthdays over the weekend but they were Halloween themed as well so for real we had nine different Elsa dresses between my two girls that they kind of (laughs) wore throughout the weekend but I ran into some buddies yesterday and they were all like, thank God it's November and that's all over. So, <laughs> Well, I thought it was over. And then last night we had to go to a day of the dead party. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So finally today <laughs> it's ended six days from the election, but this shit couldn't come out of worse time, man. That's right. Well, it's funny for me because I grew up in like a very evangelical household. And so Halloween was always like sort of frowned upon. And now I'm sending my parents like, this is day 11 of our Halloween yeah. celebrations. So. so when I was a little boy, um, when my parents were still together, we went to a full gospel non-denominational church. You know, these well, are the ones where they're like speaking tongues and yep. dance down the aisles and yep. just about everything but handle snakes and drink poison. And, you know, Halloween was the devil's day. So we went to church on Halloween and had like, you know, dressed up as Bible characters. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that that's Nothing how more exciting than David and a slingshot. <laughs> exactly. Um, how busy are you this week? Are you, you guys got a good bit of races? So, you know, our team does. Um, I've done a, a good job over the years of kind of diversifying my portfolio. So I think I have a consistent workload, a few things on the ballot. Um, but it'll be it'll be a regular week for me, which is which is preferable. I mean, the thing that was kind of wearing on me after I guess almost 20 years in the business was like the two months leading up to election day. Um, and then in Georgia, if you're uh, fortunate enough to go into a runoff, uh, it was impossible to to balance life and to be healthy and, you know, to yeah. take care of your family and those sort of things. So yeah, this, uh, this Tuesday will be, you know, it'll be interesting, but it'll be just like every other Tuesday for me. Yeah. I'm actually working less than I ever have. The week of an election, you know, the team is up to 56 people and we've got Herschel Walker, you know, it's arguably the biggest U.S. Senate race in the country might go to a runoff and I'm not touching it. You know, Phil's doing it. Phil's living in Atlanta now. Um, and I'm jealous in a lot of ways, right? Because I, I want to be where Phil is right now. I want to be in Atlanta with the Herschel Walker team, but I'm not even touching it. And it it's coming through our company, the biggest race in the country. And it's almost like I've I've built something and worked myself out of a job, and I don't like it very much because I'm a political beast. Like I I became an entrepreneur by accident, but I'm a political beast, and I want to be in the trenches with Phil and the rest of the team, but I'm just not this cycle. Yeah, I mean it, it's really hard because when you're in the thick of it, you don't realize how 
addictive it is. And yeah. then when you're not, you're like, I want more of that. Yeah. Um, I have a good friend in Georgia politics and I had him come speak to a leadership group and, and someone asked, they said, what's, what's working in politics like? And he goes, uh, have you ever seen those, uh, those billboards for people who are addicted to meth? <laughs> it's them in a bathtub and they're crying and like, they look disheveled. He's like, it's like that. And you love it. Exactly. I really think that's true. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, it's the hard thing is it's great to have a normal schedule. Um, it's great to kind of get the updates from my team of what's going on, but yeah, there's, there's part of me that misses that grind and that hustle. Uh, but at the end of the day, being able to, you know, put your kids to sleep and wake up in the morning and work out and do all the things that kind of mm-hmm. make you feel alive, uh, is a good trade-off, I think. Yeah. And that's not to say I'm not working a 60 hour week this week. I am. I was actually at the office at 5 30 this morning. It's just different now. It's that I'm focused more on the money side and the business side and keeping 55 people employed after the election and focused on that rather than, and I am doing all the things you said. I worked out this morning. I took the kids in last night. I'm going to see the kids tonight. It's just, I'm not doing the political side and, you know, turning on the news and seeing, say like, I've turned on Fox news the other day. And there was Herschel and Phil and my videographer on Fox News. <laughs> All in, a, and I look up from my desk and I'm like, ah, I just want to be there instead of where I've I, I've worked myself to, which was what I thought was the dream. But then when you get there, you're like, damn, I just wish I could be on the ground or like writing that ad now. That's I, right. I, we, we're we're just weird. I, I don't know what it is about politicos, but you know, it's not what we do; it's who we are. That's exactly right. And I, it's hard not to to have your identity tied into who you work for. And so mm-hmm. them winning or losing, uh, you at least feel like that reflects on you. And so you want to be there on the ground, making sure that they, uh, you know, do you proud. But it's just yeah. a part of the business. I will tell you, though, it's taken a lot of the personal anxiety off of it's, it's like what you said, you, you get connected to these candidates and you become so intertwined with them that any attack on them is an attack on you. That's right. And this cycle, I have a wall between me and our clients and I'm seeing it through Phil and Alex and Christiana and Jordan and Russell, you know, the higher level folks at our company now, but like, I don't have that personal connection with the candidates. Therefore, when they're getting attacked, I don't have that anxiety like, you know what I'm talking about? That's like right. when, yeah, when your guy gets hit, you feel like you got punched in the gut and absolutely. you take and you take it personally. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's so funny because I don't know if there's another sport that's like that. I mean, to, to yeah. go social, I mean, he's used to being actually physically hit. It's mm-hmm. weird for a bunch of consultants behind the scenes to feel that same impact when uh, when this op research drops or when this ad comes out. But that's how it, exactly how it feels. And it's exhausting. I mean, I think that's that's where I knew that I needed to change up the portfolio is in the 2018 cycle. I remember going to bed every night at the, at the most random times and literally hurting, mm-hmm. um, not because I was running that day or because, you know, I uh, did a bunch of sit-ups that morning, but like the physical pressure of a campaign being on your shoulders of every decision uh, being consequential, like it, it hurt. And then obviously, as yeah. you guys have mentioned many times before, living on Red Bull pizza, <laughs> yeah. beer, 
I mean, that doesn't help not sleeping. That doesn't help. And so no matter how young or old you are, uh, it eventually gets to be a painful experience. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned running a couple of times. Are you running a good bit right now? Yeah. So I have, I'm back to my, my very standard, uh, you know, seven days a week kind of workout schedule, which is great. Um, and so mixture of running and lifting, um, a little bit of biking every, every now and again. So it's, it's been nice. That's the big yeah. difference. Again, this election cycle with the previous ones is some of the guys that work for me have sent photos of kind of this time, two, four, six, eight years ago. And I'm like, Whoa, nobody told me I looked like that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> skinny, like eyes, bloodshot. I was like growing mm -hmm. a beard and now, you know, up four o'clock in the morning, uh, working out and feel like I'm really balancing everything and getting a lot accomplished. So it feels, it feels nice. Before we hit record, we were joking about how this, we got, I got three podcasts now, the, the crisis oh. one, the political one and the business one, maybe the fourth one should be a fitness podcast. Well, I mean, I, I'm just assuming that that's, that's, coming <laughs> that's out. the next one I'm dying. Those I can't are... run, man. My foot's broken and um, I, I haven't been able to run in like five months. So uh, I'm lifting and just trying to gain some pounds before I start going for my next hundred mile attempt. But yeah. to, to your point, um, one of my videographers, Blake, who has been on the road with Herschel and the team came into the office yesterday and I sent him home. I said, I don't care what you have today. I don't care what deadlines we have you're going home right now and going to sleep because he yeah. looked like a zombie. I never seen him look the way he looked when he walked in and he's the one that's going to edit this podcast. So he'll, he'll hear this, but um, I, I, I just saw the physical effect on him. And I, then I saw in him, I saw me last cycle and the cycle before that and the cycle before that of, I just wish someone would look at me and just say, stop and go home because you're going to be, sh I need you for the next five days. If you don't go to bed now, I'm not going to have you for that final sprint. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's a larger problem and it's been mentioned many times on, on previous guests that have been on your shows that leads to addiction. So obviously yep. we're all addicted to, to this game and to, and to this business. Um, but I would say most of those who, who work with us, um, whether it's, gambling, drugs, drinking, women, I mean, it becomes a real problem. Um, and and if, it, if it's not addressed early, I mean, there are a lot of guys who have come and gone because of that. Um, and, and it's a business that's very, very risky because of the high pressure, because of the work environment, because of all the hotel stays versus coming home. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the younger guys that are coming in, not to sound like a, an old hag here, no. but the, the younger guys need to know that like, Hey, this is not healthy and you need to keep yourself in check. You need to, whether it's emotional support, a therapist, uh, spiritual support, you know, your pastor, you need to figure out how to keep it all together because you don't want something that could be so good uh, to elect really good candidates um, that advance really good legislation that impacts a lot of people uh, to end up being your detriment. Yeah, no, that's such great advice because this podcast is geared towards politicos, younger politicos in particular that want to get into this business. And they need to know that because we've all suffered from that. We all found ourselves drinking too much. And, you know, we talked about on the podcast a few times about physically unhealthy. This is the first time we've mentioned, you know, being mentally unhealthy or, yeah. you know, um, you know, I've known guys who, uh, you know, obviously divorce is very prevalent for, for reasons and gambling and just and depression because yep. of the constant highs and lows of, of politics. So it is important that not only do you figure out your physical uh, 
well-being, but also your mental, man, because we've seen this game uh, take a lot of people. That's right. And, well, and, ru- and ruin their lives. The advice that I give to to young guys in this business, I mean, guys in a general sense, guys and yeah, gals, yeah. but um, I think it was after the 2014 cycle for me, a lot of victories up and down the ballot. And I remember sitting at home the day after, right? So all the rush wears off. And I was like, something's wrong. Like, I, I don't feel victorious. I, I feel yeah. tired, but I also, I feel like this hasn't, like all the holes haven't been filled because of politics. Mm-hmm. I remember telling my wife and she's like, you should go talk to somebody. And so yeah. I've had, that's almost eight years of, of meeting with a counselor on a regular basis to talk about this job and, and obviously all the other things that come with it, but this job and how it relates to my identity, who I see myself as professionally and personally. And I think a lot of the struggles that I have faced in my political world were made a lot easier because behind the scenes, I was able to have those conversations and yeah, a bottle or, or feel like I needed to, to snort a line of something to fix that. I, I felt like I was able to, to tackle it, you know, from a couch rather than, um, you know, from a bar. No, that's perfect. You know, people don't talk about this, like an endurance events, but you know, I've run 25 marathons and ultras and two Ironmen and, after every major endurance event, I go through about a week of depression. Yep. And it's because in those races, you're spiking all the chemicals in your body. You know, your adrenaline is spiked for hours. All your hormones are all over the place. And the same thing happens at the end of a political campaign because you're you're not sleeping enough. Your, your adrenaline spiked. All your hormones are all over the place. Then you go into a lull where everything stops. It's not like business where things keep going. Election day happens and everything stops. And then those chemicals start to come down after being so high for so long. And I have seen myself go through a week or two of depression after a political campaign the same way I do coming off of a full Ironman. Yeah, that's right. That's spot on. Well, it's interesting, too, because after Election Day, I, I find myself pressing refresh on my email, pressing refresh on Wall Street yep. Journal, AJC, New York Times, and nobody's talking about this anymore. And it's like, I I guess it's all over. I, I need to move on. You know when it really hits the hardest is over like the holidays, like Christmas yeah. time, yeah. because you're like, nothing's happening. Your, your email's not going off. Your text isn't going off. And you feel like something's wrong. Like right. on Christmas morning, even I'd be sitting there instead of with my kids. I'm like, what you you just feel like something in your life is missing because you're you have become just so used to the the insanity and the craziness right. of constant constant movement. That's right. Well, and you're used to your value equating to the amount of time you were putting into that event, whether it's training for mm-hmm. an Ironman or you know working on a campaign. And then when you wake up and you don't have much to do, you're like, am I still valuable? Do yeah. I have something for this world? Yeah. What am I doing in life? Yeah, yeah no, it's exactly right. right. So, you know, tell me of all these campaigns you've done, what's your, what's, what's a favorite? What's a good story you have? Yeah. So actually I hate to abuse the privilege, but I have two and they're kind of related yeah. um, because I'm at heart, I'm a comms guy. Um, and so my story, my two stories are about narratives. So the first one is back in 2014, I got a call uh, from out in West Georgia, kind of rural Georgia, um, that there was a superior court um, race that they needed a consultant for. So 
I walk in and there is a five foot five Asian man sitting uh, at the table and his name was Ming Lin and he <laughs> wanted to be a su- superior court justice in Western um, Georgia in, in rural Georgia. And uh, just so your listeners know, there are no other Asian people in uh, rural Georgia where this guy lived other than, than him and his family. And uh, so I was like, you know, uh, what's, what's the deal? And he's like, and he starts telling me a story. He's like, look, I'm, I'm a Cambodian refugee. I came over during the civil war. My brother was a child soldier. We moved to Georgia. We were thrown through the foster care system. He's like, I worked my way through college and law school. He's like during nine 11, my brother volunteered to go serve. He wanted to give back to this country that gave so much to him. He came back hit and run uh, accident, and they still haven't found his killer. He's like, so that's why I'm a lawyer and and I want to be on the bench so I can make sure that these sort of things never happen again. Wow. And I was like, that's a story I can sell. And so against all odds, he ended up winning with almost 70% of the vote against all the local kind of, you know, the sheriff's guys and the, and the state reps guys and whatever. And it's just kind of this story of like, if you have a prevailing narrative that uh, really pulls the heartstrings, but also establishes like authenticity Mm -hmm. and, uh, and shared values, uh, it's amazing what can be done. And it's interesting though, he ended up losing this past cycle because the same thing happened to him, but the narrative was that he was corrupt. And so his opponent did did a great job every single mailer, every single speaking event, every radio ad of kind of undermining, um, you know, what we were pushing out there and uh, it eventually caught up to him. But this goes into my bigger story, which is in 2018. So I I was Governor Kemp's uh, senior strategist. And it's an interesting race because a lot of people didn't really start paying attention to Brian Kemp until, I guess, 2020 and, um, and, and his bout with President Trump. Um, but he was the underdog. I mean, no one thought he was going to win the race in 2017. I know you no and one. I had those conversations. Yeah. No one and, thought uh, he was going to win. I yeah. didn't know who he was. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And I had, I had worked for him, um, I guess, since 2010 when he was Secretary of State. And so uh, I knew he had something. And, and I knew that if, if we really got out there, that we could make something happen. So he gets into the runoff election with Casey Cagle who was the longtime lieutenant governor. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that's interesting is, is as a consultant, you need to know what normal people think. Mm -hmm. And I think early on in that race, I knew that no one knew who the lieutenant governor was and no one really cared about the issues um, that he was talking about. And And so that's, we really kind of framed Kemp's race that way, but we get into the runoff and all of a sudden there's a recording that surfaces and it's a conversation between the lieutenant governor, Casey Cagle, and one of the primary opponents, Clay Tippins, uh, who, who lost, who's a Navy SEAL. And he decided that he wanted to record their conversation. For the longest time, people had talked about how corrupt Casey Cagle was. They just never had any proof of it. Yep. And so I get I get this recording, and it's, it's like a 25-minute recording, and it has everything in there that you would want. So it's got Casey Cagle talking about making decisions based on politics versus principle. Uh, He rails against the right. He rails against uh, Second Amendment advocates, et cetera, et cetera. And so 
what's interesting is, and you talk a lot about crisis response, but understanding what you have and the importance of kind of piecing that out, building a narrative mm-hmm. and being patient uh, is something that we did really, really well. And so for we basically took a story that could have been a week and turned it into the entire runoff. And every few days dropped another little piece, another little piece. So one day story became like a multiple week story of individual hits. Yeah, almost a month long. Um, because smart. every time the Kegel team would respond to that specific thing um, and would over, you know, he's, oh, no, he, you know, of course he supports, uh, you know, uh, the Second Amendment. And then the next day we would release, well, this is actually what he said next. And this is what he said next, because they, they didn't have a copy of it. They had no clue what the and, conversation and was. And he, he wouldn't have remembered the conversation because who remembers yep. any conversation they that's have exactly like that? Right. I, 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 that's so smart because nobody would have done that. Everybody would have released that. Everybody that I could think of would have released that tape all at one time. Yeah. And so what was interesting and, and you can't always have this benefit, but because it was a statewide race, we had polling that said, anyone who hears this, here's, here's about the recording. Here's any of these pieces is 70% more likely to vote for Brian Kemp. Wow. And so we basically took that show on the road and said, all right, we've got to get on every radio station. We have to get on every, you know, every newspaper and make people hear this thing. And so obviously we went up on broadcast TV, but in every single, anyone who had an outlet, any podcast that had more than a hundred listeners to take that thing. And so by the time we got to the end of the election, I think we, when we started the runoff, we were probably down about six or seven points. And then by the time we get to the end of the runoff, this is before Trump endorsed Kemp, uh, we were up around four and a half points. Uh, but being, but understanding that people care about that stuff, they care about the authenticity of candidates, but also being strategic in how you release it, I think ended up being a, a super smart move for us. Oh, dude, that's a brilliant lesson. Do you remember, or do you recall, was it all earned media or did you put any money behind it? Any TV ads on it, digital, anything like that? Yeah, so we, we put it on TV, but because uh, Kemp was the underdog in the race, his fundraising was always lacking. It was, it was usually about 25 to 30% of what Casey Cagle had. So we really relied on, especially going to outer markets. I mean, kind of the mid markets, Augusta, Columbus, Albany, uh, up in Northeast Georgia, uh, to just try to get on a radio station to talk about it, get them to play it. Um, and, and I think by the end of the day, it was about 70%, 75% of primary voters had heard of or had heard the recording in some way, shape, or form. Wow, that's so good, man. What's Georgia uh, looking like right now? Prediction on Herschel, is he going to have a runoff or not? Yes, I think he's going to have a runoff, uh, which so I know. My election date is not in next week, or at least Phil's doesn't. <laughs> that's right. But but I'll say this. I mean, it, it's so interesting for me for for two cycles, I worked at the state party and there were, you know, this is in 14 and 16. And there'd be all of these reporters that parachuted in uh, to cover, you know, Nathan Deal versus Jason Carter. Yeah. And I was like, why are y'all here? And they're like, it's a battleground state. And I'm like, it's not a battleground state. And it's so funny now. I mean, I'm, I read yeah. the daily reports and I'm like, this is, I mean, this is a purple state and it's all about turnout. I think the numbers have been much better for Herschel over the last couple of weeks, uh, but it just seems like uh, no one's going to get to that 50 plus one. Uh, But I think it's going to be a good day for Kemp. 
I would say though, um, I mean, the polling is all over the place. My projection here is that everything is going to be a lot closer than everyone predicts. Um, and that's just yeah. based on the fact that the Democrats, while Stacey Abrams is a bad candidate and she's really bad at politics and has had a bad run this, this go around, she still motivates a lot of voters to come out she does. that in the early voting numbers. So she's not going to become president of earth. No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know if you watch Star Trek, but I'm a yeah. massive Star Trek fan, uh, have always been, and it has gone super liberal and super woke. And they last season featured Stacey Abrams on Star Trek Discovery as the president of Earth. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I, man. Wow. But, but I would say this, you know, her story and no one will write this um, just because I think when the election's over, it's over. But the, the thing that I think works in politics and what what winners do is that they know what normal people think and feel and it's abundantly clear that the 2018 abrams understood what normal people thought and felt and now that she's a celebrity a multimillionaire, the democrat poster child she is so disconnected that she she just can't connect um and it's all of these gaffes that she's made, I've tried to explain to folks, a good example is this heartbeat um, gaffe that she made, although it was, you know, something she she really meant is that the conversation was about ultrasounds and the sound that you hear at six weeks. And she said, that's manufactured. And, you know, that's that's not even a heartbeat. Right. And I had mentioned that to my wife when she walked in and, and she said, um, she said, she's clearly never sat there. It's the most consequential sound that any woman ever hears. Yeah. And and I said that that's a really good point because we have two kids. We've lost one child. I remember every single heartbeat along the way. Mm-hmm. And Stacey Abrams doesn't know that. And so even if she believes that women in Georgia don't want to be told that that sound that they heard was not a heartbeat and didn't matter. And it was something, you know, that the patriarchy advanced. Um, and she's done that time and time again, where it's like, you clearly don't understand what normal people think out there. Well, and th- I mean, that's such a good point about the heartbeat. And then we saw the last few days, the law enforcement gaffe. Exactly. Also. Exactly. Yeah. I think she's cooked. Um, yeah, I agree. I think Kemp's going to probably take it without a runoff and we're going to get really close. Um, I, I, I can't say that from internal polling or anything, because honestly, I haven't seen any, I'm just not involved in the campaign, even though our company's doing it, but uh, he had such a good debate performance and has been climbing ever since. But um, that's right. Yeah, I, the momentum is definitely on his side. Yeah, I um, without the internal knowledge that I I wish I had, I fear that my team will be uh, will will have another month of campaign life. That's right. They might have a tough Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's all right. They could suck it up. They're, they're that's they're right. Hard, that's they're right. hard workers, and I love them. All right, brother man. I appreciate you coming on, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. I'll see you. Talk soon.